Hey, everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald, and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're going to find two things in this feed in this season. You're going to find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois, and you're going to find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good With Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly, and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're going to find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible-teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. If you have a Bible, uh, if you have a Bible, which I hope you do, if not, you can grab one in the row in front of you. You can turn to the book of Hebrews and chapter one, Hebrews and chapter one. We're uh, making the turn towards the fall, and uh, as I was praying this summer and thinking and talking to some folks about what the Lord would have us study next, uh, I felt convicted that so often when we come to church, we aim for something helpful. We look to the Bible, and we try to grab principles out of the Bible to help my week this week get a little better. How can I be a better dad? How can I be a better employee? How can I be more effective in sales? How can I figure out how to forgive? We kind of look for something useful and helpful, and the Bible is great at doing that. But sometimes we have to recenter our thoughts. We have to recenter our minds. We have to recenter our reality on this truth. The Bible is not about you. Uh, This universe is not a movie in which you're playing the starring role, and when the music starts playing in that certain way and you finally reach your beautiful destiny, all will be made right. The universe was created by God, for God, and we are part of his grand plan in the world. And to some people, that can make them feel like kind of like diminished or or kind of like back on their heels, because culture tells us so often that life is about personal fulfillment, that the best place that you can make it to is finally feeling good, you know, comfortable in your own skin, fulfilled that you've achieved all your dreams and your possessions. And the problem with that is that some of us have been around this universe or world long enough to realize you can get the thing you're looking for and still be miserable and unhappy. That's why so often in culture they don't know how to make sense of famous successful people who kill themselves because culture has this idea that if you just reach the thing that you're reaching for, then and only then you'll be happy and fulfilled. But what I've learned, and I hope you have too, is that true fulfillment comes when you realize that the story isn't about you at all. God loves us, and he does care about us, but we get to play a part in his story. And uh, that's a little bit what I want to talk about today. I want to look at some pictures of Jesus Christ who we were worshiping this morning from the book of Hebrews. I'm in chapter 1, and I have four verses that I want to read to you and then I want to teach to you. If you're there and you're ready, say ready. It says this, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. The title of this message today is Worthy to be Known as Son of God. I want to try to help us understand from this paragraph, which is, I think, beautiful. Even its translation in English has a certain, like, English class, Dickens quality to it. 
that the writer of Hebrews is trying to describe to us who Jesus Christ is. And he's trying to describe to us that Jesus Christ is worthy to be called the Son of God. You see, at first, I'll just go phrase by phrase, and I hope you'll be able to follow along with me. I think this is going to be useful to us as it expands our mind. He says, long ago, just right here walking through, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That first half of a sentence as an encapsulation of the entire Old Testament. If you have a Bible in your hand, that first more than half of it as far as pages is the Old Testament. And the description given here is that a long time ago, in a lot of different ways and at a lot of different times, God wanted to speak to people. That's what's so challenging about getting to know God, right? Is that God is spirit and God is not like human beings in this sense that you can call call him on the phone or walk up and find him. And so God has to speak to us. And a long time ago, he was doing that in a lot of different ways and a lot of different times. I brought a chart to kind of give us a little bit of an, a glimpse. If you've read through the Bible before, you would see this. Here's the story all the way through. God spoke to Adam and Eve in the garden. And it's the first six chapters of Genesis. 1,600 years passed through that time, roughly, if you follow the biblical uh, nomenclature of dates, to Noah. 400 dates pass to Noah, and God starts to speak to Abraham, and 430 years pass, and God starts to speak to David and to Solomon, and 480 years pass after that until the nation of Israel is taken into captivity in Babylon, and 419 years pass after that until Jesus Christ comes to earth 553 years from that last part of the Old Testament to Jesus. All of that is what he means when he says long ago, at many different times, and in many different ways, God spoke to our fathers. What's the next phrase? But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. The writer is trying to make clear that God's pattern of speaking to many people in many ways at many times, that era is over. Everything that God wants us to know from now is going to come through the mouth of his son because Jesus Christ is worthy. This is the first thing if you're a blank filler in her. Jesus is worthy to be God's primary spokesman. So the problem with all those people that were on that chart that I showed you is they were charged to speak for God and on behalf of God, but as fragile human people. Have you ever gotten that experience of realizing like, uh, that you're talking to someone and they're trying to tell you something, but they can't really get the message through clearly because they're bringing all their own stuff into it and it makes it hard to know what's really true about the message? This is the frustration that most people have, whatever your political inclination about the media and the world that we live in, is you're trying to figure out, so what's the part that's real, and what's the part that's just kind of like what the person talking is adding to it? Who has that experience walking through life today? When someone starts complaining about their boss, and you're like, right, but I've known you, and you've had like four bosses that you were complaining about. So when is the part where it's your part, and when is it the part that's the boss's part, right? We have this experience. And so God did speak. And God did speak, and God did move, and God did save people through fragile, imperfect human messengers. But in these last days, he spoke through a perfect, heavenly messenger, his own son. Jesus Christ is worthy to be God's, that word, primary spokesman. This is what Jesus was getting at in John 14, 9, when Jesus said, Have I been with you so long and you still don't like understand? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? This is the clearest that Jesus ever says of saying, if you read my words, if you understand who I am, you have seen God because I am God. 
Jesus Christ is the unveiling, and he is God's primary spokesman. What I mean, and what this text is teaching us, is that what God wants us to know is in the message of Jesus, not the shifts of culture or the narratives of religious people. Maybe you got twisted up sometime along the way in church, and you were like, I like Jesus, it seems, but I'm like good on God for a while because I'm good on the church people. Or maybe you're coming today and you're like, I, I have this sense that Jesus is real, but some of what I, I see in culture or some of what I hear about what the Bible says doesn't really feel to me like you feel dissonant or uncomfortable. What God wants us to know is in the message of Jesus as revealed in the Bible, not the things that religious people or the culture want to tell us is true or real. What do I mean? Well, I mean that there's been times past where the culture was very pro-slavery, where the culture is very pro-abortion, where the culture was anti-women, where the culture was hateful of people who were different than them, where the culture was anti-children or anti-education or endlessly pro-the powerful, but Jesus is none of those things. And if we're being honest, it's easy to point out there, sometimes the church has been a place that was pro-slavery or pro-abortion or anti-women or hateful of people who are different. The church has been known as anti-children, anti-education, or pro the powerful in little pockets at different times, but Jesus is none of those things. And so our issue, we've talked about this so many times before, is trying to peel apart what's the stuff that my tradition, my parents, my culture, the church background that I'm in gave me to believe about Jesus in the Bible, and what is actually what the Jesus of the Bible says and wants to teach me. That is a tremendous challenge to pull those things apart. And the way that we do it is by focusing on Jesus, because like this text says here, in these last days he spoke to us by his son, Jesus is worthy to be God's primary spokesman. I'd have to think, uh, I'd have to think that maybe the worst job in the world is that person who gets picked to, to be that White House press secretary. I mean, you ever, I don't know if this is what your mind works. I, like, I see a job like that, and I'm like, I try to think of a number that someone would have to say to me to go up there on that stage, and no matter what's happening, everybody's trying to, like, trick you and trap you, trick you and trap you. If you make, like, one misstep, then it gets, like, 50 million retweets, and you're just a meme for all of time. Why is that job, no matter who has it and what political party, that's not what I'm talking about, why is that job so fraught with, problems and why does that person get pushed at so hard because that person is charged with being the primary spokesman for the president so the idea is the president in theory is off working really hard and trying to do a whole bunch of things and they don't have time to talk to the press every day so this person's like i'm going to come out and talk to you on behalf of the person in charge so you can trust this is the idea of that job that you can trust that when i'm talking i'm speaking for the person back there that's the idea that's being gotten at here Jesus Christ is worthy to be God's primary spokesman. If Jesus says it, that means it's what God wants us to know. Got it? If you got it, say got it. Text continues. Whom he appointed, I'm still here in verse, uh, into verse 2 now. Whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. Second, Jesus is worthy, so I... It was working in my mind to say, to be God's general contractor here on earth. Do you see it? So Jesus was appointed the heir. What's the heir? The person to whom all is coming eventually. 
the person who is in line to receive so much. Through whom Jesus was the mechanism by which God created the whole world. Uh, there's been a couple, I don't know if you ever feel this, at the end of the summer when the heat starts to just turn off a little bit, there's been a couple days this week that were like perfect, beautiful weather. Anybody feeling that? And you're like, I'm outside, I'm outside, I'm sitting at my computer, how can I get outside more? And there's that feeling of like you take a breath in and out, beautiful, that experience. Every time we have an experience in nature that is beautiful, it's supposed to be pointing to the transcendent God who made it all. And Jesus Christ is the one through whom God brought the design to the earth to pass. You can find this lots of places in Scripture. Here's one that I'll show you in Colossians. It says that uh, through Jesus, all things were created. Just in case you needed like more on that, what he, what, I, what he means is in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus was the person through whom everything that God wanted to be made on earth was made. Jesus is the one who did it. Uh, we're coming up just real soon here in a couple weeks on a year since we've been in this building. And uh, anybody? It's that tepid applause. Oh, my goodness. I feel so encouraged. Thank you. Uh, was anybody here like that very first Sunday? A few of you maybe were here that very first Sunday we were in this building. It was, uh, it was, it was old and dusty, and there were some really unfortunate paint colors. And uh, I'm just telling you, like, if you think this room feels old right now, those bathrooms, I mean, it was crazy. And we began the process of trying to make it a place, not where God used to work, but where God works now. And we had the funds raised, and we started the process of trying to make it a beautiful place, right? And I learned really quickly in this process, it was really a learning for me. Uh, George, who isn't here today, I would bet every dollar on my bank account, he's on a golf course somewhere, uh, is a guy who's been part of the church since the very beginning. And he came in, uh, and he was willing to be the general contractor. And uh, there's a girl, Kristen, a friend of Kristen and I, we've known for a long time, her name's Patricia, and she was going to be the designer. And so the way that this kind of worked in our setup was she would come up with this is maybe the kind of furniture. Here's the colors I was thinking. I have this idea because of like the neighborhood thing. Maybe we could put this map on the back in the coffee room. I think the outside would look a lot better if it was white and the black windows, you know, this kind of thing. She would come up with all the ideas. And then George's job is to take all that that's just on a piece of paper and to make it exist. And I'm a little bit more of a creative bent myself. And the creative person generally has no understanding of the reality that most of the work isn't the imagining. Most of the work is the doing. And uh, George, I wish he was here. He would hate being talked about or being encouraged, so maybe it's good that he's not here for his sake. But I watched him on so many Saturdays come in and look at the picture or look at the idea, and then with all the workmen from his team, talk about how they were going to make it happen. Maybe we have to do it this way. Maybe we have to do it this way. Maybe we have to do it this way. Maybe we, and I'm like so... It's incredible to watch the energy and the effort and the authority that is given not to the designer, but to the person who brings it into practice. I think that's a bit of what God is getting at here in the book of Hebrews when it says that through Jesus, the whole world was created. That sunset that you didn't enjoy as much as you should because you were trying to get a perfect picture to post it on your Instagram to make other people jealous, that sunset, 
It was created through Jesus Christ. That experience when you have like the very best thing. Uh, we were out, to, we went to ice cream the other night with the kids, and you have that, you know, when you get like that right ice cream flavor on that right summer night, and you're just sitting there, and it's that like, wow. Every time creation wows us, it's through Jesus Christ who made the heavens and the earth. He was considered worthy, like, this is the biggest job. We can give it to Jesus Christ. He can handle it. That's what's, I think, right there in he, through whom also he created the world. The next verse. I'm preaching to you about Jesus today, and it's helpful to us because when we know who he is, we can start to know who we are. Verse 3, it says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is worthy. This is what I saw here. Jesus is worthy to be God's stunt double and operations specialist. It says there he is the radiance. That word radiance means light or heat. He is the radiance, so the light or heat, the manifestation is the idea, of the glory of God. A glory is the manifestation of someone's excellence or presence. Just try those definitions again, and then I want to read that sentence. Radiance, I think this is clear, is light or heat. And glory is the manifestation of someone's excellence or presence. So he's saying, Jesus Christ is the way of experiencing who God actually is and what he does. He's the radiance of the glory of God. That word glory is a very Christian-sounding word, and so it can kind of like run past your ears without understanding it. Glory is the way of understanding someone's excellence or presence. It's like, a, I don't know, I'm, Chris and I have been married 15 years, and I was married long enough to re- ago to remember that it used to be that at a wedding, the pictures were not the most important part of the wedding. I was married long enough ago to remember when the people that were there and like the food and the like kind of like being together, that was the part. Does anyone like, I mean, there's some people, a lot of people in here are a lot older than me. Do you remember when like, it was like, you know, you got one picture that went on the wall or whatever, but it wasn't like, I'm going to build my whole personal brand around the fact that like I'm wearing cowboy boots and drinking out of a mason jar going like, you know, whatever that whole thing is now in the, but slowly over time. I've watched in this generation that the pictures become more and more and more and more important and part of the wedding. Uh, I would say for my beloved wife that like her favorite and most important day in the whole year is the day that we get our pictures taken as a family. Uh, my favorite moment in the whole year is when we get in the car after the pictures are taken because it's like <laughs> the longest possible time until that. But why, 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 why? Because to a woman, the wedding is supposed to be like the glory of her life. It's the idea, this is the day I'm going to feel the prettiest and it's the most exciting and this is this big party. For a mom who's giving her life day by day by day by day to build a family, the day that we all get cleaned up and are wearing decent clothes and everybody's smiling and it looks decent in that picture and go on the wall. It's it's the, like here, I got a couple verses. Proverbs 14.28 says that in a multitude of people is the glory of a king, but without people a prince is ruined. Super clear, right? So if you're a king and you don't have a whole bunch of people, well, you're not much of a king, and the more people there are, the better king you are. That's their glory. Proverbs 16.31 says, uh, Gray hair is a crown of glory. It is gained in a righteous life. Uh, maybe like a modern translation would be like, uh, 
what would it be like a forehead that shows no lines is a crown of glory. It, no, too, too close? Too close to home? Sorry. It, if culture is the way it's supposed to be, an older person who is showing an older person. One of my friends, Philip, his dad is here in church with us today, showing beautiful white hair there in the second row. And the idea is that when we look at a person like that, this man is in church this morning sitting next to his two grandsons with his son and daughter-in-law serving outside. And we should look at that and think, wow, what an awesome thing. My man Buster in the back, gray hair, glory, 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 glory. Why? What's so? The glory, what does it mean? It's the manifestation of a person's success or presence. Now read this verse with me again. Speaking of Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Our human minds cannot contain all that Jesus is, but the closest it gets is when we understand who Jesus is, that he is everything that God is put in a human form. I picked this idea of stunt double because the stunt double is the person in a movie who's sent to uh, do the hard part to make the thing all kind of work. Uh, I was reading about somebody uh, this week who was a stunt double in Die Hard, X-Men, Iron Man, Avatar, Transformers, Spider-Man. This guy has been a body double for Daniel Craig, Shia LaBeouf, Kevin Bacon, Bruce Willis, all kinds of people. He's not the person that everybody necessarily knows. But you know when you watch one of those movies and someone like runs off a cliff 200 feet in the air? He's the guy doing it, sent to do the dirty work. It's the idea of what Jesus was sent to do, the dirty work on behalf of God, for the glory of God. It's this idea here that Jesus is the exact imprint. That's the next part the verse says. Do you see it? He's the exact imprint of his nature. And then it says this. It says that he... Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. That word there, upholds, is the idea of to perpetuate or to keep on going. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. It's almost as if at the beginning of each day, the universe says to Jesus Christ again. Should we have the sunrise again? Should we have the earth in its circularness spin again? It's almost as if when we wake up every morning, the universe says to Jesus, should we let them open their eyes again? That God, far be it, like the deist would say, that God created the world, set it in motion, and is now just standing over in the corner watching it. God is intimately involved with the continuation of our life day to day to day through Jesus Christ. It says that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Did you know, uh, I don't know if you read about this, just recently on June 29th, uh, we had the shortest day ever on planet Earth. Did you read about this? The Earth's rotation on June 29th this year was 1.6 milliseconds short of the 24-hour day that we're accustomed to. This beats out uh, a previous shortest day on record of July in 2020. What's the idea or the point? The point is that slowly but surely the earth is spinning slightly faster than it was before. Kind of freaky, kind of creepy. I don't know. I don't know. Do you notice 
Do you ever notice or feel or experience that sometimes it seems like people like don't look as old as they used to look? Maybe that's part of like you think when you're like 17 that someone who's 40 is the same as someone who's 80 and you get older and realize they're totally different. Do you ever have the experience of a feeling like people are getting bigger, which they are? Compared to 100 years ago, people are bigger all over the planet, not just like to the side, but also taller both ways. The universe continues to change and adapt and don't get terrified, evolve in certain ways, all under the power and the authority of Jesus Christ. The universe only continues right this very second, that breath, just take that breath you're about to take. That feeling that I'm having in my throat right now that I need to drink a water and forgot to drink water before I started. And that feeling when I was outside right before I came in of that smell into my nostrils of the food that we're going to have in just a few minutes. And all the little parts of being a person. If you stop and think, you can maybe feel, I can feel a little bit of sweat on my arms right now. If you stop, really stop, you can feel your heart beating. All of that is continuing to happen moment by moment by moment because Jesus Christ allows it to and wants it to. It is all under his control and power. He is worthy to be called the Son of God. Look, he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Last verse now, we're getting close to the end. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Do you see it? Jesus is worthy to be God's franchise player and heir apparent. The goal from the Garden of Eden, all the way back to the beginning. You know the story, right, in the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve, first people created by God, and they were uh, naked, and they were unashamed, and there was no sin in the world, and there was just like one rule, don't eat out of that tree, and, uh, and they ate out of the tree, and through that, sin entered the world. And from that moment, all the way in Genesis chapter 3, there needed to be payment or a solution to the problem of sin. And that solution and that problem was Jesus Christ God and man, 100% perfect and holy under God. And he had to come and die a death to pay for that sin. And it says right there in Hebrews chapter 1 that after making purification for sins, so that was his goal, pay for sins, and he completed the goal. And it says that after he completed the goal, he sat down. After completing the goal, he sat down. He did, Jesus did, everything that God sent him to do. Jesus did everything that God sent him to do. And I love the symbolism of the sitting, right? Because uh, he left the cross and the grave. In Acts chapter 1, he went into heaven. It says that after he, he finished the job that he was supposed to do, he sat down. You know that feeling when you get to sit down for the day? What's your like? Do you have a spot you sit on your couch? When the kids are finally in bed or when the computer's finally closed or when you're, it's TV time, whatever. You got a spot, Jack? You're kind of your spot that you sit at night? You seem like the kind of guy who's got a spot, yeah. <laughs> you know that moment when you're like, okay, everything I needed to do today is completed and now I can just sit. Jesus Christ's spot where he sat down after he completed what he was sent to earth to do is at the right hand of God the Father. That's what my Bible says, yours does too. His spot to relax after the job was complete was in the seat right next to the throne, just waiting until he would return to earth. 
sitting down. Why is he sitting down? He's sitting down because he's not worried about what's going to happen next because he's in control of what's going to happen next. He's not worried about what's going to happen to the sin problem on earth because his death paid for it once and for all, never to be worried about again. If you're torturing yourself about the sins you've committed, the foolish choices that you've made and you've repented of your sin, you're just wasting around your energy about nothing because God has already solved your sin problem through Jesus Christ. After making purification for sin, he sat down. Why? Because there was no more work to do because the work was completed. God gave Jesus Christ a job to do, and he did the job that he was sent to do. Now all that is left is to wait until he comes back. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He had the biggest job, the most important job, and he completed it easily and with style. Having become, he was now superior to angels because the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. Don't get lost in there. It's real clear, right? You just feel different about your kids. You just feel different about your kids. The way that God chose to express to us the relationship between God the Father and God the Son was a relationship between a father and son. I, uh, I got roped in against my will to coach football a couple weeks ago. Um, it was vaguely implied to me by someone like, I mean, aren't you kind of a pastor? Like, we really need you to help us out here. Just... It's tough, and double tough is the team practice is literally across the street uh, from where we're sitting right now. And so I, I didn't play football. I do love football. I got roped into coaching football like at the last second when practice had already started because my son, Reed, they didn't have a coach for his team. So it's my son, Reed, my second son, and uh, 16 other kids. And I can tell you, like, I like the 16 other kids just fine, but I told the guy, like, if Reed breaks his arm or something, you're not going to see me again. It's like, I'm here for one reason and one reason only, because my son needed me to do something, and because he needed me to do something, I was happy to do it. It's terrifying to think of the crimes that you'd be willing to commit on behalf of the children that you love. One of the big problems that we have, in fact, in our society, I was talking to a few of the teachers before church, is that parents so badly want their children to succeed that they struggle in our modern day and age to allow the systems that the world has set up to discipline or push or give negative feedback in almost any way because why? There's something different about a child. There in verse 4, what he's just saying, it's really clear. The angels, they know God, they obey God, they have supernatural power because of God, but they're not God's son. It's just different when it's a kid. It's just different when it's a kid. And Jesus Christ is not like a cute little preschooler son of God. Jesus Christ is the same as God. He is God. And he is worthy to be the heir apparent to the throne of God. This idea there is that he has an inheritance coming to him. Jesus does. Because God is going to turn the whole world over to him. He says that he has the keys to the kingdom. In my Bible, it says that we, are, we get to share, we're partakers in his inheritance. And what we've been talking about for the last half an hour is this truth. Jesus is not like the best version of us. I think that's where we can maybe sometimes get it kind of messed around in our heads. It's like, uh, I've had some bad authority figures in my life. I had a, bro- a boyfriend that really hurt my feelings. And like, Jesus is like the best version of people which is limited and, I guess, accurate, but extremely diminishing of who Jesus Christ is. Jesus Christ is not like us at all. He is holy. He is set apart. He is, apparently that was the cue. He is, (laughs) let me just read it to you this way, and then we're going to try to worship him, and I've done my best, I hope. 
Long ago, dear friends, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. I don't know what you brought to church today at this Sunday service that is on your mind and on your heart. I don't know if you have a, a child that's really struggling or a health concern that you're awaiting or something really that you're like, really excited about and you're just anticipating something that you're about to reach for. Maybe you're excited that school's about to start or nervous that school's about to start. I, don't, I can't, you know, there's a few hundred people in this room. I can't imagine all the things that are being brought here today. But what I know for certain is that when we place ourselves under Jesus' authority and trust his word to be our lamp to our feet and a light to our path, that when we push our trust into my best wisdom, my best thinking is what got me into this mess. Like, if I could have figured it out by now, I would have figured it out by now. And what we came today to hopefully do from his word is just to say, I'm not God, and he is, and I'm gonna do everything I can to place myself under his authority and under his word under his control and it doesn't matter what the culture says and it doesn't matter what my feelings say right now I'm going to place myself under his authority because he is God and I'm not if he's speaking that's God speaking he paid for my sin he is worthy of my praise and so I'm going to put myself under his authority from now and forever that's what we came to say today why don't you bow your head Why don't you uh, just try to get quiet for a moment? Jesus, I just want to say to you now that I know who you are. I'm listening to your word. I, I know who you are. I'm not in charge, you're in charge. I'm not in control, you're in control. I don't know the answers, you know the answers. I can't figure it out, you figured it out. I can't figure out my sin. You paid for my sin. I choose today, Lord Jesus, to say that I believe in who you are. I believe in who you are. I believe in who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's sing together. This has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is Good News.